Hey. Hey, John. You know, I just, um, I didn't mean to call you twice. I just saw your your name up there, and I was thinking, gosh, it, that maybe this is the way it looks when he's calling me. Right. So. <laughs> well, we got it all, all worked out. I'm very happy that uh, you're sitting there and I'm sitting here. I'm always amazed at, uh, at the, this technology, you know. I mean, this is just absolutely amazing. It is. It, it really it, is. It really is amazing how far this computer thing has jumped in such a short period of time. Yeah. It's really amazing. But anyway, so here we are. We're ready. Yeah. Well, but I see that the title of this thing is How to Become Unpopular. How to Be Unpopular. How to Be Unpopular. Yes. That was uh, that the name of, like, we've been making videos for years now. And that was the name of a of an earlier video of ours, and it, it seemed like an appropriate an appropriate title for a podcast about rollerblading. <laughs> I love I love that way of looking at things. Um, you know how to <laughs> probably most people don't need advice yeah. on how to be unpopular. The whole effort <laughs> is how to be popular. That's right. Uh, yeah, but go ahead. I'm a, you take off and take charge of this thing. Sure. I'm, I'm well, here. Just for just for the listeners at home, I want to um, introduce you. Your your name is John Kitchen. I said, did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Okay. Yes, you did. And I would def definitely advise anyone at home who hasn't yet seen the slow mo documentary to check it out. I am a huge fan of the slow mo documentary, and that's how I learned about you, John, and um, I wanted to kind of expand upon some of the very interesting things that you talked about in that documentary, um, your experience with rollerblading and how you've, you've really fallen in love with this activity. Um, one of the most basic uh, things that the documentary left out and somewhere where I think it's good to, to begin is, is how you uh, initially discovered rollerblading. Um, I think I got on to um, the exhilaration that comes from this um, sliding, um, from this, what I would classify as the sliding sports. Um, I got that feeling um, probably the first dramatic time was in my middle 20s, when the first time I ever skied down a, a, a hill, snow hill. Okay. So... Um, it, from that moment, and probably from other experiences before that, like motorcycling and some other things, I had realized that, that there was a, a kind of pleasure that could come from um, going back and forth, like rocking or turning in a circle. Or it's Actually, all of them had one thing in common, that was acceleration, okay? even though it didn't have to be much acceleration. It just seemed like, and, and I, I, I remember I used to ski a lot in the winter, and I would stand at the top of the hill and just watch how people were enjoying this um, back-and-forth business and how the, the better you were and the more uh, excited you were were the people that got into uh, lateral really it gets down to you have to add a force velocity won't do it if you if, once you get at a fixed velocity you might as well be standing still 
but there's something about the, um, particularly the all, and it, it's universal to all the, the sports that use acceleration. And the athletes, because many of them are not thoughtful kind of people, they fall into to these pleasures, as I did just gradually. The first indication I've seen on the beach is little children turning in a circle. Usually they'll be about two or three years old, and you'll see them out there turning in a circle. So that's the beginning of it. And this is a, a, type, a phenomenon that people experience as they go through life. And you can become observant of it, of the, uh, that you've you got pleasure. At some time, a lot of people realize it in their teenagehood, and that's when they, they start racing various ways and doing things like that, you know, and, and then it's dangerous because the car, if you take a car and go around a curve real fast, it fit, that's exactly the same feeling. Yeah. So the um, car races and people like that are into the same. So all of us are really, including me, we're jumping on this train when we're little children with the first time we turn in a circle or do something or get in a teacup in Disney World or something like that. Yeah. And then we keep jumping on it whenever we can. And we begin to, if we have the opportunity to stick on to one of these, like say somebody that lives at Kitzfield, Austria, hell, he can do it with skiing because there's enough snow there that he can pretty much hibernate through the summer and start skiing again in the winter. So basically he can he can stay there and, and, and have this feeling. But um, in the city, where it's flat, um, there's been a little bit of a problem because mankind drops into this uh, lull where there's no acceleration, okay? And the skateboard actually was one of the great inventions of mankind because it made this concrete jungle that we put everywhere you could get this feeling of acceleration. I never got into skateboarding, but I would as soon as, as soon as they got inline skating, I saw that the um, pretty much the physics is pretty. You can you get the same thing as skiing and these other things, and uh, I, just, I got pulled into it about thirty years ago as the wheels and the um, got a lot better. The the grip, you know the the polyethylene made it possible to edge, actually edge like a, a hockey skate Yeah. to some extent. Okay, so basically when they solved that, um, I felt that I could get this pleasure predictably because I live here in San Diego and there was a flat area close to me where I could skate at night when I wasn't working late or with much sun. Okay, yeah. so um, I could it was like living on a ski, uh, living in Kitsfield, being able to ski, you know, to get that yeah. feeling predictably every night. I used to uh, just, I just got into, I couldn't, it was like a surfer, just wanting to surf all the time. Yeah. And obviously that's what we're the subject of, I reckon, that justifies this conversation is that we share, I, I share that kind of addiction, really. Yeah. Uh, to, what you might call an exhilarated feeling that comes from lateral acceleration. I'm calling it lateral. You, you know, 
it's too bad that the physicists haven't really jumped on this because the physics of it is extraordinarily complicated and extraordinarily interesting. Yeah. And it, so I'm just using lateral acceleration because the first person that really pointed it out to me in skiing, I was at Jackson Hole, and, and as you probably know, the snow was very heavy there, and you couldn't turn the skis in it uh, very easily. And he said, the whole trick is lateral acceleration. And it just clicked in that, that as far as just being a skier or a, uh, a skater, that was the best way to think of this, because you were pushing, actually, a force it's mass times acceleration. You've got your mass and you're pushing out to the side. So that's where this back and forth comes from. The push um, is a um, is you're putting a force into it that changes the physics of the whole thing. And that's where it affects the inner ears and that's where the pleasure comes from. Yes, and it was it was interesting to hear a bit. were you a, a neurologist? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So it was very interesting to hear a, a man with your background um, describe like what's going on in the brain that kind of makes this so pleasurable. And it, it, it is something that hasn't been, well, to my knowledge, it hasn't really been thoroughly studied that um, why it's so pleasurable or, you know, it, that seems like a topic that hasn't really been explored ex, ex, extensively. Like, it was explored a little bit by you in your documentary, and you kind of ex, explained the, the calcium deposits kind of moving around in, in the brain. But is that is that something that you think about a lot? Like, why this lateral acceleration is so pleasurable? Um, it's, it's, I think about it almost constantly and have been for years, okay? I've figured this thing out. As far as the, the physics that I understand, and I spent a lot of time trying to understand this stuff, all right? This is the, this is the one of the, particularly for athletes who are actually living their lives, it's for the, really, that's their main thing, okay? It's obviously, I would think, somebody can skate as good as you, it's got to have been your main thing for a while, okay? So you take these athletes like surfers, skiers, snowboarders, ski, uh, skateboarders, bicyclists that, uh, that you've you got to know how to do it with a bicycle. You can't just go somewhere and get a fixed velocity, but you've got to be going up and down and sideways and all that. But, but um, all these people are in a world that they are experiencing and is very, very personal for each one of them. They, and they don't talk about it much because they're just going out there going Yahoo and it's very personal. But um, if they were more of an intellectual type and a philosophical, a philosophy thinking type of person instead of an athlete, they would be doing what I did. It's just coincidental that I got interested in this and just happened to be a neurologist, okay? And also, I just happened to be interested in, in um, uh, relativity, how the space changes with uh, acceleration and so on. So I, it just it all just fell into place, and I'm thinking like, hey, this is a um, an explanation not only for the behavior of millions of people. This could be a good... 
I don't know the percent, but it's somewhere around 10% of the population, maybe as much as, as 50, because if you couple this with other types of uh, ways to, to, to affect the inner ear, okay, the same way. In other words, the athletes, and, and everybody that's ever thought about this, going back to, to the early Chinese and ancients and whatnot, there's a state of mind, okay, and that state of mind is superior to uh, the ordinary state of mind. Right. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote a, um, an essay called Oversoul, and he pointed out that in a lifetime, now you got to go back, that this, these people weren't living as full of life, many of them, as, as we do, but in a lifetime, you may have two or three of these epiphanies, and that they're so much more significant than the ordinary reality and day-to-day life you have, that all you do is just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait through the years for the next one. Yeah. And this is how desperate those people were. You can tell it's like a person that's traveling, okay, puts himself into some sort of sleep until he gets there and then he wakes up again. All right, this is the way a lot of people are going through life. Once they have an epiphany, they know that there was this great insight and all like that, that and they, they had it, but they usually keep it to themselves or they tell one or two other people. And then they just wait passively to the next one. Now, other people, they'll hook it to something like it could be um, alcohol or, or marijuana or something else that gets them into that state of mind, and then they'll stay with it. That's an addiction. Well, the athlete is addicted to this feeling. Okay, uh, although you can say, well, it's it's a good feeling and it's good, and we all listen. I want to tell you, this is not only a good feeling; this is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate um, type of consciousness. Now, let me tell you why. It's not just a feeling that some surfer can say, "Yeah, I had a good time in the ocean." If he He's like a kid sitting at church and not listening to it, not getting anything out of it, okay? But most of those surfers aren't like that. They know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to get into the mystical state. They want to have another epiphany, like they did, say, five days ago. And then they go back out there and they have another one, this and that. So they're having a lot of them, okay? And they take it for granted to some extent. They connect it to the sport. They know it, but they don't write books about it. Uh, matter of fact, it's sort of offensive to talk about how happy you are when you're telling somebody else is just staring at you like, well, what are you going to do? So why does that help me? I remember I was, I was telling <laughs> I was, this is so funny. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was in Bohoya, and, and they showed my documentary and had me sitting up there. Sorry, where were you? <laughs> this is what makes it funny. I was in La Jolla, which is the, um, it's the sort of the, the upper class part of this area. Okay? Yeah. And they had this really good, I'm not trying to put them down or anything, it was just so classic. Um, they had me up on the stage after this thing with some other people that had movies there at the festival. And... Um, they started right off asking me questions about the state of mind. Everybody's interested in this, by the way. Yeah, it's very interesting. 
And I started trying to really kind of explain it very, really objectively. I wasn't bragging anything. I was just trying to be a, a nice person answering, well, and this turns on the mind, and then there's this exhilaration, but then the athletes know that it's mystical. And this one lady kind of straightened up, and she said, well, we're very proud that you are able to find all this great feeling for yourself out there, but this is something else we can all talk about. <laughs> I felt like the, the operator that kept talking about how well he could sing and then asked the lady, well, what did you think? How well could I sing? Actually, this is available. Let me tell you, the zone, the athletes call it the zone, the state of mind, okay? Buddha call it nirvana. There's a lot of names for it. And personally, and I know this is going to offend a lot of really rigid Christians, but I think Christ was talking about it when he called it the kingdom of God, being inside you. Okay, in other words, it's the zone. The athletes know it. I never have to explain this stuff to a real athlete. Right. It can be a basketball player. It can be uh, a skater like you, it can be old and young, and they're right on top of the idea. But you try to explain this to somebody else with a, with a, that's got an ordinary way of thinking and doesn't have the experience per se, he'll kind of listen a little while, and then he'll say, well, I think that's like what happens to me when I'm um, painting, say, or when I'm playing the piano, or when I'm um, doing something else. And so you can see that it's a universal state of mind. You don't have to be hitting three-pointers as a basketball player to be in the zone. The zone is just a popular word, okay? The, the new people, I think you might have been one of them that told me this. Is the, all the self-help books, they're calling it the flow, right. you know, on the idea that it's like going down the river. Yeah. But it, it doesn't matter what the word is. It's a state of mind of some kind. Now, that's the important thing. Because the sliding sports will put many of us in that state of mind directly. Right. Without having to do anything else. Okay, so that state of mind, what is it? Well, that's where the, all of this really gets interesting. Okay, because this involves all of us human beings and animals. Okay. The way this thing apparently works, okay, it, there there, we are, obviously, and all other creatures are, are, are an entity from which, into which um, things come from outside in the way of uh, electromagnetic radiation. For instance, we can see because something we call radio, uh, electromagnetic radiation comes in and whatever the mind does to it, it comes from out there, okay? All the philosophers have said we convert it into perception. Interesting. The Buddhists don't say that. But all the philosophers, Kant included, everybody, says that basically something out there exists, and it comes in, and we change it, the brain changes it, into a set of perceptions, which is this, what we experience as a world in ourselves and so on. But that we're on one side of a wall. Well, if you think about this, okay, uh, electromagnetic radiation comes in, and maybe it changes, maybe it doesn't. 
maybe it reproduces itself, and red really is red, for instance. Sound comes in. Other, uh, some of the other senses, like taste, touch, and some of that, come in by another method. It's not even worth talking about right now. But, but the main thing is that there's another one that comes in, okay? And it's coming in all the time, and that's gravity. Hmm. Yeah. In other words, it's coming in through the inner ear. You can't get away from it. Even if you closed your ears off with cement, it comes in through the head. It's like micro uh, wave background activity. It's everywhere. Right. Okay. Now, the nature of this, as you know, probably watching, listening to science and whatnot, the nature of what we call gravity is a full damn spatial feel out there, uh, three of, you know, time-space, okay, it's four-dimensional. But it's not just four-dimensional, stuck there like a, a, a cube of space with um, time attached to it. That's not what's out there. There's a force inside of it. They call that, it's a feel of some kind. And it has the capacity to produce other things, okay. It lives, so to speak, and it is part of the space-time four-dimensional continuum. And it changes, at least for the way of, of looking at it, it changes size. In other words, it's not just constant everywhere. It, it curves. For instance, there's a big um, curve that's carrying an pointing to the center of the earth, okay? And that curve comes is, is a field, like, you know, you could picture these mag magnetic lines going through us, all right? That's a field of some kind. We don't know what it is. They say the Higgs, okay, boson or something, but it's, it has a substance. You could change it into a mass, say. But anyway, it's going through, and it's going through our inner ears, and it's reproducing itself as... The sixth sense, what is the sixth sense? You name them, sight, sound, you go down the list, there's six of them. The last one is the sense of balance. The sense of balance comes in through the inner ear, it orients itself to gravity, in other words, it is under the direct control of the uh, this field out there that we're calling the Higgs field, okay? It hooks us to the Higgs field. So if, now this is a little bit of a philosophic jump, if that field, you're picking it up in your inner ear, just like you're picking up light coming in through your eyes and sound coming in through your ears and whatnot, all right, that Higgs field, it, it's, it's coming in, all right, and it's a sense of balance, so that of all the senses, it's sitting there quietly, like this. Yeah. And most people are not aware of it. Matter of fact, they, I, I would guess that the average person goes through his life and maybe goes 10 years without even being aware that that sense is quietly there. Right. Now. Because it's, it's, it's a constant. So it's, it's a constant. It's a constant unless you get vertigo or start falling, and then it'll change temporarily. Yeah. Or it'll, it'll, I, now, what happens when a person goes into the state of mind of the zone? 
it gets spooked. Okay, and you can test it for yourself. And I can tell you that you could test it real easy with your skating. You you introspect and notice your sense of balance and try to get that part that is the sense of balance. Now, that's the key I'll come back to. All right, because it's so subtle, most people don't even know what it is. Matter of fact, they'll forget to name it, you know, and say that there's five senses and that the other one is like the inner eye, which is another name for the same thing, okay? I mean, yeah. the, the, um, the Buddhists and the, uh, the ancients thought that the inner eye, the sense of balance, they call it the inner eye, which we all know, we, we use that phrase too, but like, okay, the inner eye in the proprioceptive system, um, this would be at a level of neurology that's not been... Uh, that's not been unstudied, and so it's unknown. So I'm just thinking about um, how this thing would affect more than just the inner ear. It might be coming in through proprioception as well. And even sound, and, and I think that sound in some way may be part of the same system, but I, I don't know how it works, um, because the sound is very closely associated with the I am feeling. Musicians seem to uh, get in the zone very easily by listening to sound. Yeah. And um, we know that sound affects the mind, and we know that a lot of people, Nietzsche being the, a good one to point to, feel that life wouldn't be worth it if there was no um, uh, music. Right. So you commit suicide if there was an absence of music. You, and, and you, you, like yeah. to, you like to listen to music while you're skating, right? Yeah. Do you, all, you always listen to music when you're skating? Yeah, yeah. Does that help you kind of get into the zone? Does it, does it yeah. increase the, the pleasure? Yeah, yeah, the, the way it, and it will, even though a lot of people don't do it, uh, it will for almost anybody. Yeah. If you best example is is the, is try watching a movie without the sound, oh. and then on your TV and then turn the sound on. I mean, it's it, 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 the other thing is you don't want to be in the non-dominant. Hem, I mean, in the dominant hemisphere. Um, when you're skating, you don't want to be in the um, verbal part of the brain, okay? You want to close it off so you're not thinking words. If you hear words, right. your brain, uh, people like, if I'm on the boardwalk and I hear somebody in a conversation, that pulls me into, uh, if they're walking by and I hear a word, that pulls me into the, uh, what we call the dominant hemisphere, the huh. brain. The, so basically, oh yeah, you got to block it out. Words, words and numbers. Don't do any words and numbers when you're skating. Um, you want to be in the non-dominant hemisphere. Now, you can communicate when you're not. There are several ways to communicate when you're in the non-dominant hemisphere without coming out. Uh, if you start talking to somebody, it'll pull you out of it. Um, so you lose some pizzazz, okay, from being, if you're, say, skating like you were skating in that film. You're skating, if somebody tries to ask you a question as you're doing it, the whole configuration of your mind changes. Okay? Right. So if you walk, if you're going to be around people that might say, hey, dude, or something like that, 
or you hear them talking to their friends saying, and the fucking guy, you know, and that just, boom, it's like hitting you with a sledgehammer. You hear, you know, a cuss word when you're in this state. Right. So, uh, or hear bad music. If you hear real bombastic music, it'll, it's destructive to the uh, part of human nature. There is absolutely no doubt about it. I mean, I put my life on it. Yeah. That so what, what kind of what, disorder? What kind of music do you like to well, use? I like every genre, and um, you know, one phrase that I really like that was invented by uh, people that I also like, and that is, "Where are you coming from?" If the music's coming from a bad place, I don't listen to it. Right. Period. And I can tell by listening to country music or just any anything. I can tell is that diabolical? Is it not? Right. And I just listen to the shit. It's as simple as that. Now, the good music. Yeah, I can tell where the the person is that's making it. If they're noble, upstanding, heroic then I know I'm with that person. But if they're telling me they're some sort of killer or they're a person that's got hate or this and that, or they, they're some sort of committing one of the deadly sins too yeah. much. You know? You're just and absorbing that, that negativity, oh, really. Yeah. And I, 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 yeah, everybody gets the choice, but it will put your mind in a good or a bad state. It, a good state, for me... The two, the two best emotions for me are the spiritual emotion, uh, which I, I reckon love is in there with that one, and good humor. Yeah. And um, so I try to listen to, there's a tilt in what I listen to. It's either going to be beautiful in a spiritual way that is uh, uplifting, or it's going to be it's going to be like a, a country music that's got a good take on life, you know, of some kind. Maybe it's just folksy and whatnot, but it's yeah. good. Like um, that fun feeling. Yeah, fun. Like carefree. we're all in this funny. Now, yeah. another thing that you want a melody, what I try to do, and I, I'm personally convinced of this, okay, that there's something about um, space and time and music so that if, uh, if a person, a great a composer has a melody, say, uh, a certain melody, and you can visualize that in your mind as the melody um, plays out. It's like a road, okay? It's like a path. Right. And, and if, you're, if you try to put yourself on that path and then let the music um, set the mode, like the music's doing the skating instead of you, okay? Right. Like whoever's singing the song where he's coming from, you're also coming from. Okay, like if it's a folksy cowboy, then you're the folksy cowboy that's doing this, right? And you're following this uh, melody, okay, like a path. Yeah. And you try to link them up. Now, if you do that and you link them up and you trust it, what I've noticed is that you never make a mistake. It's like, it's almost like, it, particularly if it's a great composer, it's like they find these paths, and it's like a magic path that'll go through anything. It's like he didn't have to know that there would be a person here and a person here and a person here. You got to dodge. He his path would go through no matter who was there. 
Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I've had that and experience, the, yeah. Yeah, it's the advantage of, of music. Um, uh, listen to music when you skate or do anything is that it, it puts you in the non-dominant hemisphere where all the, um, actually, the way the brain is configurated and whatnot. It, um, now, you can't speak in that part. And this is what happens to some patients, and, and actually to some people, just ordinarily, is that they're in part of the brain. Um, part of the brain is activated, so to speak. They're living in that part. That's their personality. Yeah. And it's on the other side where they speak, so they're not somebody that's just speaking, 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 okay, all the time, because they're tucked away on the other side of the brain. You know? Right. And that's where you, you want to be doing your skating, is in the in the actually it's the right side, but we call it the non-dominant hemisphere, and it it's the the one that's got the most uh, control over um, at least as far as the cerebral cortex, most control over balance. But the cerebellum is where the existence of the whole thing really should be thought of. Uh, cerebellum, yeah. um, but that's kind of lost my train of thought there <laughs> well I've, I've, I've heard uh i've heard academics talk about uh saying that something is only worth studying if you can put it into words and right. <laughs> and and well. you know and and I'm, well that's a huge mistake because there's so much that is beyond words that we experience that that's, that's is exactly, so valuable. That's the, the, exactly what the case is here. Like, you know, I was at a, a thing in Carbondale, Colorado, and I couldn't sleep because of a lot of noise and everything. So I stayed up and I wrote a poem, which I read to about 500 of these athletes the next day, you know. Yeah. And um, it started out something like um, they ask. Where is everybody on Sunday? Nobody's in our churches. <laughs> Where are they? And later in the poem, I'm saying, they're in your mountains, on your oceans. They're skateboarding. These are the heroes of today. They don't sit in a pew, okay? The wor true worshiper is the, your athlete, your sol solitary athlete. I see them every day. And you know they, they, they worked all day and did all that and got through, but now it's their time. That's when they're running alone in the evening, a lot of those people. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they, it's something that, uh, you know, the Buddhists talking about, talking about things and words. The Buddhists have a, an expression, which is, he who knows does not speak, and he who speaks does not know. Right. You know, like I, I remember one time a, a guy told me about his epiphany when he was surfing that he was in some sort of glorified state, you know. And, and I was uh, with some other people and he was there. And I said, well, you know, I understand that he had, if so and so had a, an experience like this surfing, so that must be. And he kind of got mad at me because he couldn't figure that was a, a very, very personal thing. A lot of people don't talk about this stuff, okay? 
you know, a lot of athletes. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're, first off, they don't really care to. It's almost like sex. Some people talk about sex and some don't, but that doesn't mean that the ones that don't, don't know what it, what it is. You know? Right. It can be, it, it can be a hard thing to talk about because it's not, it's not a universal thing. It's not, everybody doesn't have access to this. We're, we're very lucky to have, uh, to be capable of getting to these places. Um, cause it requires a, it requires a lot of athleticism and, and fitness and, and work at the, the, whatever discipline you're, you're, you're working at skateboarding, rollerblading, surfing, whatever. Um, and there is a tendency like the woman that you talked about in your story that wanted to move on topics. It's like she she didn't like the fact that you were basically talking about this great thing in life that she can't access and she probably will never be able to access. You know, life isn't fair. <laughs> well, you know, there's a comeback to that because, I, you know, I... I... I ran up against this in the first couple of years. It, it seems like it's a selfish thing to do, you know, to spend your life, uh, a, a big part of your life, getting this feeling, being in a state of meditation. It's kind of like, they, you know, Mao wants to outlaw the monks. They, they, they thought that wasn't good to have a certain number of people that weren't digging or, right. or doing some hard work outside. But anyway... Um, the value of it is in question if you live in a, 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 ca a working society where it's all work, you know, so you have to kind of do it secretly. Like, like the question people would ask me is, well, that must be good exercise. Well, a person that's doing something for exercise is not one of the people I'm talking about. No. No, you don't do this for exercise. You do it because of the the state of mind that it puts you in. Yeah. And that's the reason you do it. Any exercise is just coincidental. Okay. Well, sometimes it, so can be, it can be preparation for that. I find that if sometimes I'll exercise, oh, like saying, if yeah. I can't do it, yeah. I'll, I'll exercise yeah, yeah. and it enhances my ability to, to, to roll but, with it and get in that. That's right. That's right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You need the, uh, yeah, exactly. But the thing that pulls you into it, like, it took me a long time to explain this to people because they say, well, why do you skate this way? And I said, because it feels good. You know, it really, like, it's hard for people to understand, like W.C. Fields said, that um, he drank because he liked to drink, you know? Yeah. He drank out because he liked to drink. <laughs> it's that simple, Yeah. <laughs> Really is that simple? I mean, if you're the one that's drinking, <laughs> then you understand. Yeah. I mean, really, it's for pleasure. I can jog and do things that are less comfortable. I can do things that I don't like as much. Uh, but it's the pleasure. You you would never be able to skate as good as you did unless you were pulled into it by pleasure. Exactly. It, it, the people that are pulled into things by hate. And when I say hate, I'm exaggerating. But for competition, yeah, Chariots of Fire was a good example. Right. They have the runners. One ran because he loved it, and the other was trying to sell a record. Okay. Yeah. And basically, this, these are the two sides of human nature. I mean, you can become. Matter of fact, that might be. 
in my case, because I was a doctor, I might have been a person that was trying to become a doctor. Okay. In other words, then I'm a doctor. Right. You, in other words, if you don't do it for pleasure, if it's not in your your essential core, you'll just get to the the top, you know, and there won't be nothing after. Nothing I mean, we see this in our politics that there's nothing there. It's like the salesman just went home, and you're reminded he's just a salesman. Yeah. You know, I thought he was going to solve my problem, but he's home now, and he's <laughs> forgotten about me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like you're not doing it. You're not doing it for the experience of doing it. You might be doing it for the title or the financial reward that comes with it. Something that uh, is related. I I talked to several people, kind of in my circle about about your documentary, and a couple people mentioned this, and I had this thought when I watched it. I, I come from. It's it's called aggressive skating. I don't even I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Where you know we do tricks and we we learn grinds and jumps and and that's basically what I've been doing since I was very young. I got into this and and there's like basically the culture is we we try really hard to learn all these things and get really good at doing them and we try to do them on as big of obstacles as we can and a lot of it is about impressing our peers and about making a name for ourselves. and I think that through with that approach we're kind of um we're not appreciating just the very simple act of of the movement and it's almost like we're a lot of us are missing out on on the internal rewards because we're so focused on just impressing others it's like our egos get in the way of of getting into the zone i mean well the the best of us the ones that really excel know how to balance that and know how to the best skating always comes from the soul and the best skating does come when you're in that zone um I think what you're talking about now is really an interesting subject. The, the ego, um, once a person discovers the zone, he's so impressed with himself that uh, it, he goes, I think, naturally through a period where he's as in, really impressed with his own prowess. And that uh, makes him very uh, egotistic okay, and egoistic. And, and frankly, I think it's normal. If you go back and look at um, great entertainers, um, they often there was a stage of egotism before they they realized that they and they became ordinary, you know, as normal. They they were less impressed with themselves. Um, part of this is natural um, because. Uh, the young person, for instance, you, uh, would be a good example. You find something that you're really extraordinarily good at, you know, and maybe uh, you could have been good at something else, but maybe not. Maybe this is like, this is your thing. Whatever the your talent saw, this was really a good one. So this is a gate. It supplies you with a gate to get in the zone. And what you do in the zone 
is that you, it's a type of worship. Now, at the beginning, when you when you begin to get in the zone and fu function really well, you get begin to think about yourself, okay, and how good you are, and how uh, you're much better than everybody else, and that makes you um, you you go into this thing of, and also the epiphany of I am. You're having that at the same time, so it's very narcissistic. A lot of people will uh, see that you're in this sort of narcissistic, selfish, like a lot of the people will see as the type of selfishness. And um, you're in this state. And then as it evolves, though, you begin to see that the state is a lot better when you diminish the egotism, the egoism. The less conscious of the state you get, the bigger the, the eye gets, and at the ultimate, it's just one um, world, okay, so that you're, you're not an ego thinking, well, I'm skating down the boardwalk or whatever I'm skating. Um, you basically have found this, um, the, you've gotten into the zone deeper than you've ever been before. Right. So, and that, you, and right there, you can reflect and say, well, this is so much better when I thought I was good. Yeah. You know? I mean, obviously, you take somebody like, um, hell, it could be any of the great athletes, Michael Jordan, anybody. And um, he's going to prefer to play a game where he's in an exalted state than he would be play a game where he's just running up and down the court and scoring points. I mean, the exalted state is... is it justifies our existence as a as a human being. If you just if you don't ever have an epiphany of, of that you exist as I am, you you don't ever see that burning bush that Moses saw, and all of this doesn't make sense. What you'll do is stay at the egoistic phase of religion, and what that is is ritual. The the simple people that don't evolve, and this would apply pretty much to everybody we watch on television, like the, um, I'm talking about these Middle Eastern people that go down and six times a day and whatnot. Yeah. All this is ritual. The reason Christianity took off early, according to a lot of people, is that they didn't have a real good ritual. People like to do these things and then figure that that takes care of it, and then they go back into their non-epiphanous mental state where they live a boring, drudge, drudgery life. But they, that ritual, if they repeat it enough, they get a feeling that they're, they, they're doing enough, okay? And, yeah. and they don't need to get into all this other stuff. Maybe uh, these people, they get into the zone by their craft, you know? And, it, and it's something that you and I don't know directly. Maybe like a watchmaker or a person who, like a farmer, Obviously, these farmers are living in a zone of some kind because they're, I mean, you can look at them. You look at their posture. They're in their own zone, and it's a farmer's zone, but it's still the same one. It's just that they got into it by this repetitive day-to-day -day work where they had to do it and this and that. Right. And, and other people, they're getting in the zone different ways. Don't feel sorry for the non-athletic. Listen, no, no. let me tell yeah, they get in it their own way. Exactly, and there's there's many ways that you can get into it. Um, and there's other ways that I that I also that I get into it. But for <laughs> for me, it, there isn't there isn't another. I I have found a few different ways to get into it.
but it's different in each one. It's a different, it's a little bit tweaked, you know, it's a little bit, it has its own flavor in each one. And when it's, when it's really good in skating, it's, it's on a level of its own for me. Um, and it's, and it might just be the, the, the effort that I've put into that area or the, you know, the amount of focus that I've put into that, but it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's got an intensity all on its own when it's good. I don't get to that place every time. Um, it takes work to get to that place and it takes a lot of, yeah, it takes a what it takes a lot of pizzazz. Yeah. And if you get other things going in your life, you might not be able to just have enough wherewithal. Yeah. You probably also work and do other things, right? Yeah. See, all I'm now in my life for practical purposes, I just take care of myself. I read and do things like that, but I prepare to skate twice a day. That's my whole thing. I create music, and, and the whole thing is around this. And I'm instead either thinking or studying or like reading about this phenomenon. And I feel that it, it, to me, it, that I'm 71, I'm toward the end, I'm in the last third of my life, that it's a way that I am with God before I completely go off and disappear into the void. Um, you know, the I am, to me, it's been the greatest thing. And, and so I feel like I'm in the presence, so to speak, of, of whatever we mean when we say God. Yeah. This thing is, is, is unreal. If you get into the physical, the little bit we even know now, it's unreal. And, and we're directly hooked to it. And you and I, and the other people that use it, lateral acceleration, we're in a, a certain category of worshippers of this um, phenomenon that we were born into. Right. You know, it's, it really is a big deal. It is. It's not just a bunch of skateboarders going down the sidewalk. If somebody sees that, they need to go to church and, and start back up the ladder of enlightenment. Because when a person is skateboarding, um, if he's in the right mental state, he's in a state of worship. These guys going up and down, the, I mean, they, they're young guys going Yahoo and this and that, but still, um, it's, a, it's a type of worship. And uh, as you get older, if you watch older skiers, they're not trying to bang down the slope. The whole idea, it's like sex, you're not trying to do it real fast. You know, this is the thing, uh, you know, the primitive people try to have sex real fast. The primitive animals do too. Yeah. The whole idea is to slow it down, to slow everything, to slow your eating down, to slow everything you do pleasure, slow it down. There's another world of slowness. And by the way, that's what running in a dream is. It's a type of running slow. And it's very, very intense to run in a drain. But that's what you do when you slow down. For instance, with your talent, and at your age it might be difficult to discipline yourself, but if you got into the slow skating and you captured the feeling and then you saw you could nurse it, 
by keeping the acceleration going, you wouldn't have to. I mean, you could just all you got to do is nurse it. It's just like a small sensation, but it, it, it just it let it build by keeping it going. And um, you'll slow down. You won't be doing all that fast stuff. You'll, you'll kind of think that it was age appropriate. Yeah. But you, like, you don't hear an intelligent older person listening to real fast music, do you? No. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> As you get older, everybody is like a clock slowing down. You know, we're all, and I'm just slowed down to where I'm, I skate usually very slow. I don't go very fast. Matter yeah. of fact, I drive slow. I do everything slower than I used to. Yeah. It would feel it would feel good to to not rush. I mean, rushing is a is a very. It, it's not a very comfortable state to feel rushed. That's right. And you miss out on so much, feeling rushed. I think I think slow slow mo is is more appreciative, more you know enjoying the present when you're moving slower and you're you're enjoying each morsel. You're not just jamming it all in and oh my god I gotta gotta get here gotta get there and and you're missing everything in between. You've you've put a lot of time and effort into your technique of of slow mo of of this like f- kind of Superman flying style. Um, um, what is it about the the stance that you take? Like, you know, I, I'm working on the answer to that. Yeah. Um, I've got it where I'm at right now. First off, it's natural. I'm not trying to imitate um, ballet and things like that. I'm not trying to do something I've seen. Right. It just feels good. Now, why it feels good to be in that position um, when I'm moving down, the only thing I can think. Um, is that it has something to do about the inner ear. Um, because there's one, it, it, it reminds me of the three-finger rule. If you take the three um, directions of space and, and put them uh, so that you, uh, in your fingers, you get a configuration which is similar to the configuration that I'm making when I skate. So I'm thinking that it's a natural position of suspending oneself in the inner eye, kind of like one of these um, machines, you know, where you're, you're, you're going, these people get in this thing and they go around like this, you know what I'm talking about? You know, where it's like a, <laughs> you know, do you know what I'm talking about? There's a kind of thing you can get on and it goes like this. Your legs go up, you're standing on it, and then it goes like this. It's like a wheel of some kind you can wheel around. No, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're... <laughs> well, you've seen the thing where somebody's throwing a knife and there's okay, a lady yes. and she's going like this. Okay. It's like spinning. Okay, yeah, yeah, on the wheel, <laughs> like a human wheel. <laughs> it seems like to me... 
that the body, my body is trying to get one of those positions, okay? It's like, it, you know, believe this or not, a snail, he's got two little antennas that come out like this, okay? Yeah. If you believe the scientists, one of these little antennas orients itself to the moon, okay? <laughs> the other one orients itself to the damn sun. So this dude knows where he's going, okay? And now I'm, I didn't do the research, but I have read the research. And uh, it makes sense to me that the orientation of the inner ear and the way this thing works, that they've lined it up, God or nature or however you whoever designed this machine that we all lined it up so that it has uh, axis just like the, the three um, space dimensions, you know, three dimensions of space. And I think uh, birds, uh, uh, they're in a, a certain configuration. But I tell people I have to keep my left, my, my right or left foot on the ground because my egotism, God cursed me and said, slow-mo will never fly. You know, so one on the ground, and that would be his punishment for his egotism. Okay, so I'll actually never be able to go off the ground. But I'm, that's what I'm doing. And I'll tell you, like, like I said in the documentary, and I, from my point of view, I'm being very modest when I say this. I believe I am flying. Now, what I mean by that, if you think about flying, what those birds are doing, and we get to watch them all the time here, they're not. This isn't flying. No. <laughs> this is flying. Yeah, they just soar. <laughs> That's right. What they're doing is the same thing I'm doing. They're, they're getting in a zone, okay, and they the zone finds a path, okay, depending on uh, the forces they're playing and so on. They've got all sorts of forces they're playing with up there. Right. And, they, by the way, they will come down. If you're in the zone, they will... Uh, Animals get very attentive if they see something that's in the zone. If you're in the zone, you will move in exactly the reverse way that a person moves in the non-zone. <laughs> and you take movie actors, uh, great movie actors, like, um, to me, Lancaster, Burt Lancaster was a good example. If you watch him walk across the stage, he's in the zone. He walks differently than other people. This was what I tried to get across, that they have to teach Romney how to walk onto the stage. You've got to be in the zone. People want to see somebody walk and move inside the zone. Right. Okay. Movements are exactly the opposite of what they would be in the non-zone. You can tell very quickly if a person's walking where they're at in their mind. And all of us know it, even though we don't maybe bring it to our consciousness. Right. Um, you can just tell, it, you, I mean, I can see this stuff so easily now that I'm older and I know about it directly from skating and watching people and knowing about athletic. Think of the great athletes like Jordan. You know why they worship that guy? Because of the way he moves. Yeah. He moves that way because he's in the zone. Yeah. And, that, and it's as simple as that. Burt Lancaster, they watched him because they liked the way he moved his arms and legs. They watched, uh, there's some other um, actors that, um, 
they're like that. They're hypnotic in the way that they move. Yeah. And some of the athletes are that way. Some of our great ordinary athletes are that way. We call they're it. Fun- yeah. We call it God moments, like when someone. You call it what? We call it God moments, like yeah. when when someone yeah. is really, really in the zone and they really execute a movement that's just beyond like a, yes. a normal yes. human. It's like it's that God yes. moment where it's like whoa! Hey, Al, it's you and I are talking about the same thing. There's only one thing that. Well, it gives us a hint of what Achilles looked like. You know what that was? What? You know, Achilles, as you know, was the great, he was the original great hero of mankind. Yeah, he was, he was dipped in, he was dipped in the, what was he dipped in? No, 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 let me tell you about Achilles. Okay. Achilles was the first great athlete warrior. Okay, in in, in in Greece, in, in, in Troy, in the you know Iliad, so that's the beginning of, of heroes. Homer wrote that, or somebody did, call himself Homer. He gave one description of the hero of the Iliad, and the greatest name that was ever that ever occupied that position all the way through to uh, Jim Thorpe, and that was he fought. In a godlike manner. Whoa. Okay. You got it? I got it, yeah. Zone. He fought in the zone. Yeah. That's the reason we worshipped him. Michael uh, Jordan played basketball in the zone. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, the, you're right. It's godlike. And, by the way, when you're in there, you would never be an atheist. You know an atheist is outside the zone. Right. Okay. But just by the very fact that they would bring up a negativity about this world that we're talking about. Yeah. That it doesn't exist or it's a chemical. Like They'll start talking about endorphins and stuff like that, which is offensive Yeah. to me. This is, this is something that's so uh, phenomenologically rich that it, it's outside some experiment that somebody measured somebody's uh, amount of endorphins somewhere in the brain. It's a lot of bullshit, guys. Yeah. Just kind of know, seeing the extent to which all of this is directly, directly uh, available to all of us to experience the zone. You don't need to go read what the chemists are coming up with or know that it's in the hypothalamus or that it's this and that. Yeah. All of that's a lot of it. It doesn't mean anything. What we're talking about is a thing in itself. This is a close... This We are the thing in itself. This is the greatest way of, of understanding what the human being really is. Right. And the hints came up with it probably three or four thousand years ago. It's not new. Yeah, yeah. They just didn't come down. They didn't have the rollerblades, and they didn't have the uh, skateboard. I've often said if if Buddha had a had a you know the rollerblades like we've got now, inline skates, hell, he'd be skating all over the place if yeah. he had the surface. Because it was the state of mind that he was. The, the whole idea was the state of mind. That was his whole message. You get in the state of mind. Everything else follows from that. 
Yeah. I used to tell these young guys because they, you know, they're at the beach, um, you know, and you know they're going out and try to find some women or something like that, you know. Yeah. I'll say now I'm too old because I, I know this, but I, I should have known it when I was young. But the way you go and find yourself a nice girl, if you if that's what you're looking for, is you first put yourself in the zone. Right. That, that's all you have to do. Just get in the zone. Yeah. If you're not in the zone, there's no way. No, I've 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 felt that when uh, sometimes after I've been skating, I can I can feel the eyes on me. Like if I go and I order coffee or something, it's just like I can feel that like I'm just on fire. I feel that that energy and and I and I know that I'm very attractive. That that's that's perfect advice actually for for someone who is is looking for to get with a woman in any capacity put yourself in the zone first wow yeah you, you, and could, you, you could put also uh, say a job interview yeah you know or um or anything just uh, any any anything you do in the zone is going to endear you to the person that you're acting with you're That's interacting true. with yeah and, um you you cannot make any uh, serious mistakes now if you make uh, verbal mistakes and things like that. If you reflect on them, the mistakes you made when you were in the zone, if you reflect, they weren't mistakes. No. They, in other words, if you insult somebody in the zone and you reflect on it, that's exactly what you should have done. <laughs> you know, in other words, I've, I, I personally can't come up with any example where I've ever made a mistake. Now, I've had one lady said that she was going to jump over the wall and knock my teeth out if I said anything else. <laughs> you know, every once in a while you run into somebody like that. Yeah. I, um, um, when I reflect on it and I checked on it, I found out that uh, this person is a semi-criminal and whatnot and, every, and says things like that to everybody. And it's, so yeah, yeah, it's their issue. I, like, whatever I did is probably what she deserved. Yeah. You know? So, I... It goes, all this stuff, it's like if you're in the zone, you can't make a mistake. And once you get to be my age, you find out the only thing you fear is death, okay? And they're going to do that to you anyway. So you're saying, what do you got to lose? Right. If you go through life, like, yeah, if you go through life fearing that somehow or another you're going to insult somebody or something, you're going to say something conservative and they're a liberal, so they're going to report you to the teacher or some picky own stuff that's going on like that, you know, you just say, fuck it. Yeah. You know, it's not worth dealing with. It's better to be honest and be connected into the what we're talking about and let that be your God and your God. Exactly. Let the self. That it comes from outside the zone, and screw everything else. Yeah, and and speaking about the job interview again, it's like if you go in there and you're honest and 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 you're in the zone and you're being honest and natural, and you don't get it, then that's probably a good thing because exactly. they exactly. they see exactly what you are, and yeah. they make a decision that oh he doesn't belong here, and thank God because if you yeah. get a job and it's not. For you, that you know, that's worse than not getting the job in the first place. When you could be out getting an opportunity that's aligned with what you truly know. are, you know. I know, but see, this is a very non-scientific way of thinking, isn't it? 
because most people they 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 feel like they've got to push against things to make it happen. If I didn't get the job, then there's something wrong. Either he didn't give me a fair chance, or this or that. In other words, the they're right going. To, you should have control over your destiny. All of this. I remember it was a patient that had extreme uh, multiple sclerosis that I saw when I was a medical student, and he couldn't walk or stand or do anything. And and I and I was sort of empathizing with him at, at the bedside, and he said, "Out the kitchen, it doesn't matter really what happens to you in this life. What matters is how you react to it." So and I've not, I've decided not to react to this as a big tragedy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Really? And I yeah, see it's, all it's, these uh, infantile types on TV. Yeah. Got an excuse for all, all their behaviors, no matter what it is. All of us have an excuse and excuse and excuse. Like, yeah. it, it's so pathetic. You know, no, you ought to look at the positive side. Even if you end up, um, let's say that you end up a 69 year old slob and you finally figure, well, I've been a slob my whole life. I think it's justify I commit suicide tonight. Yeah. Well, at least think positively about that. You didn't do a whole lot of bad stuff you could have done. Yeah. <laughs> We're just a slob. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of joking around, but there's a positive way to look at, look, this whole thing, life, we're born into this, and we have a, a, a tough go at it. Nobody can remember when we volunteered for this. No. Okay. <laughs> it's like it must have been early in the morning we went away. Yeah. yeah something but we apparently volunteered so we're into this and then we find out very quickly the bad news is that we're going to die but we get to watch everybody else die first that we know and love yeah and then we die last and then they say well keep your chin up you know life is good and you you carry on from there that's basically the human <laughs> the, 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 that's that's the real existence that we share with each other okay yeah all in this That's the I framework am. right there. They made no explanation for the the neurologists think we're all dead in, in the ground like a bunch of and the worms and that's it. We're out of here totally. Yeah. But, uh, in other words, oh, the science wouldn't support any kind of immortality unless some theory like this is uh, true. You know, it, it, I mean, if there's a god outside of this, like they said, that created this and he's sitting there. This is a, a these people that think in those terms are in the ritualistic phase of the whole thing. Right. And do that's you, good enough. But do you think about? It, it, yeah. Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But do you do you think about death? Do you do you have any um, do you have any theories or or beliefs about what happens when you die? I, I think I do, and I, I, um, I, I think about death all the time. I've always thought about it all the time. And and I've never been impressed by somebody who says, oh, well, that's you should just keep it out of your mind. We're all going to die and then go along. I was thinking, like, well, geez, this is like, you know, it's kind of like, uh, well, you don't want to know about Hitler. I mean, that he was a bad man, yeah. you know, something like that, you know. Oh, don't don't watch uh, World War II. That, that's a lot of people killing. That's bad. You don't want to know about that. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like death. I mean, how could a person not <laughs> Interesting. It's his own extinction that's that's the subject matter. I always, yeah, I think it's the most interesting thing that all of us have to deal with in this life. 
yeah. is our own demise. And whether you put it out of your mind, all your behaviors are bouncing off of this, okay? Regardless of you're some little trooper that's decided to be a good little woman and have good little kids and then die right on schedule. <laughs> I mean, a lot of guys, well, I'll put up with this and they die. And I mean, you can do that. But, um, no, I think that... Um, I've thought about it enough, and I think that this is the, literally the hope is that this idea that the self, the I am experience, that I'm this one, is identical to what we call the sense of balance. It's coming into us from the outside. So if you take away us, it's still there. What we're doing, we're right. experiencing a, a kind of a carved down, uh, tiny little piece of this thing. But it's imaginable to me that death would be just like this, except the color would be a lot brighter. The electromagnetic radiation would be everywhere uh, and brighter and all that. You'd be able, you would simultaneously, you wouldn't be restricted to seeing just certain things. Your presence would be omnipresent. And it would somehow or another be a variation of the world that we live in, but much uh, larger. And right. you can get a sense of it by this experience of the zone. Right. But it's, it's and, and by the way, and when you die, after most people, they've written these books and all, the patients that they've had, I'm sure, because I had them too. People who die, they don't just die like that, okay? And, and if they put the EEG on them and it's flat, that doesn't mean that there's no residual consciousness anywhere in the brain. No, but there's no way to know. One's own common sense would tell him that there's a period of time after what we call neurologic death when there's still little moments of... Um, Maybe it's like a piece of a dream. But if you, if you know from deep sleep that the sense of balance is always there. Yeah. This is true of people in anesthesia and other things like that. So the sense be, of balance, you like, figure like as soon as the person really dies, really dies, so he can't talk about likes and things like that because he's really dead. That subtle sense would be really present, okay? So it makes me personally believe that the old theologians believe that there was a period between the time that a person died and when his soul left, or when his soul got to heaven, but it didn't happen immediately. So there could be an interval of a few days or something like that, you know, where a person literally is totally unconscious except for the sense of balance but I would suggest that light that death would be that I am feeling and you would wake up out of this thing with the oh yes feeling of course that the natural self that we were before we were born into this was an omnipresent I am feeling that covered everything and went out as far as there now you know, whether we'll be able to float out to Mars and look at the surface of Mars, I all that kind of thing, I don't know. But I think that the uh, it's given me hope that there is no absolute oblivion waiting for us. 
that there's there's an I am feeling at a minimum, and there's no reason to think that the other elements of the universe wouldn't be available to it, just like it is now. It's right up against it. If you think about uh, the I am feeling, seems to be um, well, you can you can study it with projection, like you were talking about. If it's out there, if you're really in the zone, then you're going to be able to pick it up at your environment and whatnot. But whatever that is, I don't know. I, but I don't think it's just going to disappear uh, right. into nothingness. I think it goes to something else. And the real context of us right now is more like what the Hindus think. It's not like we were a human, and this time I'm a human. And this time, maybe I'll go a billion years, and then I'll be a Martian or something else. So, or you'll be a grasshopper or whatever, all these different variations. But if you think about it, uh, the sense of balance, the I am feeling, what we're talking about, wherever that is, you would be. Okay? And it probably has the ability to go into all the different creatures, you know, where there's a sensory apparatus where it can reflect on itself, somehow or another like the inner ear, which goes all the way down to these little bacteria and whatnot. Yeah. So it could be that it's experiencing uh, its own I am realities in just so many ways that we couldn't even fathom how big this thing is, and we're just this one. and But we're also the I am, we're also all these, and we keep going, and beyond, you know, but at least it doesn't go boom like that, you know. To nothing. I don't think. No. What do you... Th- <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, what do I think? Um... <laughs> What 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 are the skateboarders? What what have, what have you come up with your skate? <laughs> see see I can tell you're see we're all the same this way. Everybody's curious about this, and they know they're in a predicament that uh, you know that they can't solve. Nobody's ever solved it. No. You know we 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 try to think in a way Christ the concept of a of Christ inside is basically what I'm talking about is that there's a uh, eternal self that and you feel it. When it's really big, you feel, if you're Christian, you feel like, wow, this is the way Christ felt. Yeah. And if you go to an institution, they'll say he thinks he's Christ, okay? <laughs> this is, a, I mean, this is, anybody that gets it as a celebration really a lot has the danger of secretly thinking that he's Christ. And in a way, he is, okay, when he's in that state. Yeah. I mean, this would be living Christ, what the evangelists call the living Christ. And it truly exists. I mean, it, it exists. That's what we're all of us talking about. Yeah. If it doesn't exist, then the whole thing is a is a complete myth. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I think we are all we're all Christ. We have that capacity to be Christ. All of us. Um, I I'm very excited to die, personally. I'm excited to just not, not that I want it to happen soon. I'm also very excited to live. I don't want to die, you know, soon. I I want to live a long life, but at the same time, I'm very excited for that day when I when I die and when I experience that. I think it'll be well. I, ex- I expect it to be phenomenal and fun and awesome. <laughs> um, I get this. Um 
belief? Because a lot of people fear death, you know, and you, you don't seem to. What, how did you get this, do you know? I don't know. I just, well, I've always felt that way. I've always felt excited about about death and... and did somebody die when you were young? There's got to be some hit interesting kind of something to look at to. Huh? No, I, I didn't. I didn't experience a lot of death when I was young. Um, I I was raised. I was raised uh, Catholic, and I was going to church every day till I was about 14 years old. And obviously, that gets the your mind going about death. They're constantly talking about death in church. Um, so I was excited about it. I, it's obviously a, it's a complete mystery to me, just like it is to everybody else. But I, th- I, I, my feeling about it is along the same lines as yours, where I feel like there is a part of us that that gets deposited back into, um, you know, whatever whatever life force is is around us and gets deposited back into the intelligence of of the earth and life. Um, I don't think my feeling is that it will no longer be me. Like Todd, me, Todd won't, won't exist anymore, but a part of me will become, uh, absorbed, you know, I won't have, I won't have a, like, this is me experiencing this, but it'll be, It'll be I will be a part of of everything, you know. Yeah, oh, I think I think we have the same basic idea. Now, be aware, these feelings and thoughts and uh, evolve as you get older. Right, I'm sure they do. So, yeah. So what you're what you have now is like a flower in your mind that's opening, and where it will be later is where I think you'll come back. To, to kind of a recognizing the solipsistic nature of I am. You know, everybody gets excited about this, okay, uh, negatively, because they think that there's something wrong with uh, a person being occupied with his self. But if you had it, uh, if you really believe that Christ lived inside of you, you would be naturally excited about that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you would want to take care of it. Like, you would think that making a living is really not as important as appreciating Christ. He's with me. Like, I can make a living anytime, but if he was coming to visit me, I'm going to take the day off of work. Yeah. Okay, This that comes second. So basically... If you can experience the Christ inside of you, that justifies your existence, okay? And not only that, it justifies human existence. When I skate, frankly, I tell people this too. I don't skate for the living. I skate for the dead. There's more dead people. There's a lot more dead people than living people, and they're a lot more powerful than the living. Everything we do is controlled by the dead. And I don't mean they're pulling strings. They're in here, okay? Right. At, at a minimum, they're controlling us from when we knew them. Yeah. But. They're all in us. Our true brothers and sisters are dead. Our true brothers and sisters. 
your contemporaries, some of them are your true brothers and sisters, but not all of them. Right. The people that you really would have gotten along with have lived in the past and they're dead now. Okay, so they're back into whatever this state is. That, um, for instance, frankly, I feel for the guys that fought in World War One. I. I feel like I really kind of feel for those guys, and I want to have been there. And I, it just, um, and I think other people. I know that they, that's the thing that pulls them into history is they're looking for who they were. And you can think of this uh, generically or non-generically. In other words, you either were Napoleon or you're just a Napoleon-type person in this life. And he was a right. Napoleon-type person in that life. So no matter how you cut it, there's a generic part of, of yourself. And it goes back, and there's millions and millions of those people back, and they're dead. Yeah. And they're your true brothers and sisters. If you met one of them now, they recognize you like that. They right. say they know that you were a person they could talk to, trust, and all like that. And so you, they're going to take advantage of you and scam you and knife you or do whatever. Yeah. You wouldn't worry about any of it because they're your true brothers and sisters. And they, in a way, are watching you. If this thing I am is out there, that's them. Okay, and it's coming yeah. in and that's what working that way so and we're experiencing it like this uh, just in a way temporarily kind of being next to God yeah. you know what I call because I don't I don't think that a lot of the Jews and other people like the idea that we some people want to confine this to the idea of Jesus Christ but you could call it something else and frankly there's no good word for it that I know, but I prefer because the humanists in our society are very strong and they should be respected. They call it the fundamental man because we all can get it if we go fundamental inside ourselves. It's in the deeper part of the brain. It's not in the most evolved recent evolutionary part. The primitive man can get this just as quick or maybe quicker, i.e. the primitive man in sports. Right. Okay. The um, animals can get it. They the primitive, the fundamental man, if you call it that, goes into the animal kingdom, and it goes all the way down to what we were talking about, to the bacteria and whatnot. So, it, it it's aligned itself with this outer Higgs field. The whole thing is is hooked together. You know. Yeah. And you and I find out if we do this, like a, a certain movement, that it kind of stimulates us, and we know from physics that acceleration changes the size of space, or it changes the Higgs field, or right. it changes gravity, or it curves space, depending on how they want to describe it mathematically. Have you, have you thought at all about the pyramids? Like, because it, it seems like the, whatever the pyramids were, whatever, whatever purpose they were created for it just seems to have something to do with this this field it seems to be a reflection of it or seems to enhance it or it's trying to kind of show us some kind of pattern in the field it it has to it seems to have something to do with the field do you think about have you ever thought about the pyramids <laughs> is von Danigan in the room there <laughs> Ha, <laughs> ha,
house in here. Where's the bookshelf? Oh, no, you know what? I, can't, I keep an open mind on all that stuff. The pyramids are very suspicious, I have to admit. You know, yeah. there's, I'll tell you, there's a lot of stuff that like that that's just very suspicious. Number one, the human being himself is the very presence of, of human beings and the fact that we can make a, a damn computer and stuff like that. That's very suspicious in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got friends here who, who literally worked in high positions in the State Department until they were retired. This will tell you something about the State Department. Yeah. But they um, believe that the only explanation is you have folks, okay, that we're being fed this intelligence from outside somehow and all. Yeah. And there are all these possibilities Matter of fact, I think I would summarize them. All these conspiracy thoughts and imaginations, including the pyramids, come under the heading of what justifies the belief in God. And that is, if you look at things, it's real suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really there's got to be an explanation here somewhere. Yeah. You know, it just seems that way, right? It's kind of like uh, the foreign policy. If, like what they're doing now, they're bringing in all the, the brotherhood and everybody else. You know, it seems to be advancing. And we seem to be losing it at every point. And, and we're thinking like, well, gosh, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> what does this mean? How could this... It, my mind can't. Uh, I'm having hard making black white and white black. It's hard for me to do that. I'm trying. You know, that's where America is right now. They're going like, well, I don't understand it. Do y'all understand it? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, un yeah. They don't understand it. Yeah. You got to put it, understand in quotes. This is the funniest period that human history has ever been able to document. Oh, yeah. This is my opinion of the international and national situation. Now, I'm, I'm just an observer. I've been observing since they kicked MacArthur out for wanting to win the Korean War. Yeah. <laughs> you, it's, you know, I have brought up in the wrong time. I was, I was born in 1943, and we were a country with patriots at that time, you know, so. Yeah. A lot of, like the last the last thirty years or twenty years has been an exponential explosion in in the capabilities of of humans, and it's interesting that, I mean, how old were you when rollerblades were invented? <laughs> I mean, you well, probably like forty. Socrates had a pair. Who? <laughs> They weren't very good. They were those four wheels and yeah. quads. Well, he, yeah, he roller skates have been. Yeah, he did a lot of that toughness, you know. Um, did you ever, wasn't near as good. Did you ever use quads? Did you, did you no. ever use roller skates? I thought it would be something I could naturally do, but I found it to be almost impossible. It, this you know? was more recently that you tried them? Or... Um, was it? It was a while back, and I, I, it was so disastrous. I just couldn't seem to get the feel. You know, yeah. the, I think skiing is very easy to transfer over to um, 
in my skates. Yeah. Because I'm like some great super athlete that can do anything. You know, I mean, I I just enjoyed it so much. I did it more than that. Like some, <laughs> I used to tell people this that you know the only explanation for me being able to skate good is kind of like the man that bought that machine where he was stretching. You know, he was exercising all the time like this. Yeah. He said, night and day. And it said, have you ever gotten a fight with that guy? You just got to make sure he doesn't grab your ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if a guy does something long enough, hell, you get good at it. Right. Well, you, so okay. I, you never specifically answered the question of like, you, you, you were, you were into skiing and that's what you discovered. Was, was there a friend that said, Hey, you got to try these blades or like the the first time you put them on, like how did that come about? You know what? I can't remember. I think, you know, rollerblade, I kind of just kind of gradually slipped into it. Like I can remember I would take it up for a while and I never could break. I remember that was a big thing. I even went through a phase where I tried to get some inventors to build a break, and it was so imperfect. I was so imperfect. Hmm. And I couldn't figure out how to do a hockey stop. Yeah. And um, it, it, to me, I just, and then I, I stopped for a few years and I come back to it. And uh, the wheels got, I think it was the thing that got me going really good was about 25 years ago. Uh, when the I think that the pilot, they had a breakthrough with a polyethylene so you could get a little bit of a grip sideways. Yeah. But, um, and I just, and then I had, I just found out how to do it. Uh, to get the acceleration, it's just a little bit like um, how to have sex if you, without moving your arms and legs, that type of thing. You, you would just naturally learn how to do it. Right. Um, and, and so I can skate real slow, and it feels like I'm going real fast. Okay. In other words, I get that kind of exhilarated feeling, and I'm just holding it going real slow. You know? Right. So and music and the thoughts. By the way, the thoughts that come off when you're in the zone, all your thoughts are positive. I see everybody as being just wonderful people, loving people, this and that. And you can read everything, all body language, everything. You, it's all like you're, am, you're very, very present. And, uh, yeah. So it, it's a it's a superior kind of state of mind. You know, I mean, it, it, if I had to say what should a human do in life, it should be very simple. He should do try to find um, a non-destructive way to get in the zone. And then try to uh, do everything he can, as much as he can, from the zone. Even if he's a doctor, a lawyer, or somebody like that, you don't have to be the the, the machine. Um, it'd be better to be a person to carry the personal aspect. In other words, we don't need another. What we need, if you think about it, there's nobody in the world right now that anybody admires. Not a single soul. Think of that. There's not a single. Person now, of course, you might know somebody personally that you like, but I'm talking about a major international figure. There's nobody. So basically, um, you, you you can see that there's nobody that um, has captured the imagination. There's nobody that's working from within the zone. 
if you work within the zone, you would automatically become some sort of great leader or something like that. Right. That's what all these are charismatic types uh, in the zone. That a doubt. That's what charisma is. What about Tom Cruise? He's in the zone. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not, yeah, he's in the zone, but he's still in the egotistic phase. Yeah. But that's okay. You know, he'll he'll plan out. You got to look at this. It's like uh, young horses. You know how they they run, and they jump and run. I've never and you heard... see young, and he's just at living an extended um, period of youth. I, I don't hold it against him. I don't I don't like egotism, but I think it's natural. Yeah. Uh, until sometimes it takes something like a, a bad injury, for instance, or cancer or something like that. For instance, if he got or somebody like him had a serious death in the family or maybe he lost his arm or something like that, he would, yeah. You can see over and over and over again these people evolve, but they sometimes God has to bring them down. Oh, it's so true. You know? It's so yeah. true. So you just keep your eyes open, and you'll see plenty of examples uh, as life as you get older. Yeah. Even in yourself, you know. It's a little bit, one reason I like to watch MMA, <clears throat> that is fighting, is that these guys come on like they think they're really a uh, big thing, they, the way they strut out there and everything, and then they, yeah. they get the shit made out of them, and they just look like, oh, they're just nothing. They learn their lesson, they're just... And you know they're like that. I just think that that transition is just the most horrible thing. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> huge. To get shit. I love yeah. watching MMA too. I I just find it so you fascinating. Like I love it. Like yeah, and you see they're helping each other. They're trying to help each other get the shit beat out. Everybody they want to get the shit beat out of them. Nobody wants to be in the the shitty state of mind. So yeah. if they got get it shit beat out of them. That's the reason they do so much of this ground and pound. The guy, you never see the guy that's underneath it, when the bell, he's been underneath, say, for three minutes, getting the shit made out of his face. Yeah. And he gets up and hits the other guy, thanks a lot, you know, and goes over to his corner. Yeah. Because he's, he's, he deserved all that, and he feels better now that he got, you know. Well, I think that's true. I think I think the the guys who are at the top and, and are really good fighters, it's like they appreciate getting the snot beat out of them they know how good that is for them that's a part of their addiction that's a part of them being in the zone is having that ego just destroyed in the ring and they've they've gotten addicted to that feeling afterwards of just feeling like a piece of shit but they that they often go out and say to their fans i do i do this for my fans all right now you think about what they're doing is that they they're saying, look at this. I'm going to take that ego that we all despise. I'm going to show you all that. You get it, and then I'm going to show you get the, it's going to get the shit beat out of you. Yeah. Either mine or his, okay? Yeah. So they're doing it really to entertain people that just hate this part of the self, you know, this ego. Right. But it's human nature. I think this is the best thing we have to remind, particularly young. Um, and, and it takes a loss, like a loss of a loved one a loss of some prowess, physical prowess, a run-in with cancer, which, by the way, cancer, you know, there's a lot of people that, that profit from having a brush with cancer if they oh, survive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it changes, it 
always changes them into a better person. Is 100%. what my observation is. Yeah. Yeah, I've and that's one. Yeah, yeah. One reason I think being a doctor is has some reward um, is that you get to see people face up to serious stuff. It's not like they're totally shining you on, you know, because they got their back to the wall somehow. So it's a little bit better relationship than you would have with the same person in another circumstance. It's true. Yeah. I know from my own experience that injuries have, they're, they're, ex, they're very painful, but the, you grow so much from it. I mean, your, your, your perspective really gets altered by, by going through that agony. There's, there's definitely a benefit there. There's definitely a benefit in, in your appreciation for your, your the, the felt moment of, uh, like, the now, the, the experience of being alive. You get closer to it yeah. from, it, from experiencing those things. And I, I think even though I've gone through this life without being a warrior, I think that's the justification for being a warrior. Is that you're uh, you're trying to turn this sort of glorification of pain and suffering into some positive use for your fellow man, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that yeah, well, yeah. I think it seems like we're in pretty much good agreement on a lot of this stuff. You know, I've not found anybody that uh, that I suspected was a great athlete that I've talked to about this kind of thing. It didn't seem to be right on the same page. That's very reassuring to me because some of these uh, things that I talked about, there's a little bit of a hop, and you don't know if you're making the hop because it comes out right for you. You know, right. like, in other words, you got to be a little suspicious of your own mind. Yes. Uh, what it comes up with. Yeah. I tell people that uh, they say, "Well, do you believe in God?" or something like that. I think that this is my final answer that I've come up with, is that in my best state of mind, I believe in God exactly 50%. That's when I'm in the zone. But I always seem to have that 50% where I move over into the scientific side and I say, well, that I might have just been, you know, kind of out to lunch like a lot of people. Maybe I need to to not smoke any marijuana and think this way or something like that, you know? And, and so you get that doubt. I don't think I'll ever escape uh, being, having half and half. Yeah. I think that's it's, a health, that's a, that's an intelligent place to be. Well, it, it's balanced, isn't it? It is. I feel, yeah. I, <laughs> some, sometimes for me, that's, it's kind of a, cause I really experienced that too, where, I have all these thoughts and these feelings and, and ideas, but I do have a, a, another part of me that's like, well, you put a lot of energy into this rollerblading thing. Maybe you should put this kind of energy into something a little bit more profitable or, you know, a little like I have that that part of my head where it's like, is this really getting you anywhere? This questioning. Right. And, and, and that 
I've I have felt torn at times. Like I know as a for a fact that it's the right thing for me to do and it's the right like I get so much joy out of it even if I wanted to stop I'm helplessly addicted but even if even if I wasn't like I I appreciate the the benefits and I'm I'm faithful to my to my church of of skating Just remember, uh, this is the reason I came. I, I gave that old man in the documentary so much credit. Yeah, is to solve this kind of uh, question in yourself and, and me and all of us, how much we should do. I think the bottom line is just believe, do what you want to. Yeah, trust that the, the, the desire is a categorical imperative built into you. And that it knows what it wants. It's yeah. it's the horse on which you're riding. It knows how to run. You don't have to tell it how to run. Just give it some rain, okay, yeah. and it'll run. If there's a road there, it'll run down it. Just let and it so, be. Yeah, let it follow what you want. Now, if it builds up in you that you want to do something else, like uh, how old are you anyway? I'm 31. 31. Okay, so say so you want to, maybe I should get married and have kids or do this and that be a standard kind of adult. I right? do. I am married and I have a kid. I have a daughter. Okay. Yeah. Basically, okay, then you're, you're thinking um, as you um, evolve and get older, you still track what you want and it may change, okay? You may not want to skate as much, but just don't skate because you feel like you owe it. Just follow what you want. And right. follow it like you know, obviously probably followed what you want and got married and this and that. Follow what you want, keep following it, and that's the way you go through life. But don't do it because all my family always wanted me to do this and that, and I think a person should do this and that, and that, and that's told that everybody should give one tenth of their income. All these uh, don't take those ways of doing no. your life. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy, but hell, you know, all of us are opportunists. We're born in, into life, we're given really the best example, the best metaphor is a poker hand, your delta hand. Right. If you look and there's just a two and a three and a six, hell, you've got to play that hand the best yeah. way you can. If you've got three aces, then hell, you can play that hand. Yeah. You've just got to play the hand that keeps being dealt, you know. Every day. And, yeah, every day. And, and you can't control it. It's not like uh, you can outthink it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do this and that and be the richest person that ever lived. Yeah. It's just you, you just track these little morsels and hope that maybe you'll have enough money. I think that's the way it works. Yeah. So do you, is that the way that you're living your life? Or do you do you have any, any like, uh, I would like to accomplish this over the next five, ten years? Do you think like that ever? Do you have any kind of goal or? Yeah, you know, in the documentary, I said that my goal was to get to the last part of my life without becoming an asshole again. Yeah. Um, the other day, um, I told somebody that I, my goal was to ride in the back seat of a limousine. <laughs> down the streets of uh, Moscow with uh, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> yeah. And people in the crowd say, who is that man that's riding with slow-mo? <laughs> you know, but 
you know, you know, what is it? It's fame and fortune. I'd like to become the greatest person that ever lived, <laughs> absent Christ, taking Christ out of the equation. Like, yeah. um, I live my life um, in a way as if I'm the only one. I mean, I, I believe so much in the solipsistic reality and then other realities are, are, are what other people tell you and what you read is, is so distant compared to one's own experience that um, I take this existence, to, my own personal existence, to be extremely important. Right. I believe a personal God. I don't think I would be alive or you or anybody else if there wasn't somebody, something keeping, kind of keeping you going, okay? Yeah. And um, a lot of people, particularly after they have a bunch of close calls with death and whatnot, and they reflect and they think, well, geez, you know, statistically, I ought to be dead. So <clears throat> you, if there's a question of whether there's somebody taking care of me or not, I should recuse myself from having a, an opinion on it because I have every reason to believe I'm being taken care of. You know, first yeah. off, I had no <clears throat> nothing to do with being born, and I mean, we're just here. I don't. I didn't decide to have two arms and two legs and all yeah. that. You didn't work <laughs> yeah. for that. You didn't. You didn't earn it. It was just given to you. This this is part of what's suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did it just happen to be like this? Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, so um. That, that's probably enough. We, we, it's been a great enjoyment talking to you. You're a very intelligent young man, and I think you. all you got to do is continue to do exactly what you're doing because uh, you obviously um, you have a curiosity about uh, these kind of things, the important things, the meaningful things in life. And you have a, a, a wonderful athletic talent. Thank you. And the, the, your, skate, your skating. So, yeah, just keep doing, just stay on the same path uh, that you're, and do what you want to. You, apparently, you've been following that path already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just keep well, thank doing you. I, I agree. I agree with that. And yeah, this this was super super fun to talk to you. Um, I would really like to do this again. Um, I think, think I feel we, like I think, feel like we could do this many times, and and there's so much that we could I, talk about. Well, um, I, I'll be glad to do it with you again. I I enjoy talking uh, to somebody that listens, you know, and and uh, ask provocative questions, and and also it's given me like every chance I get to talk about this. I am burning bush business. <clears throat> yep. I'm getting a little better at it because the last thing I want to do is to spook somebody that I'm quoting the Bible or something like that. You know, I don't like to spook people. Right. So I want I want to be able to, to verbalize it so that if there was a genuine philosopher of the old type listening to me, he would track exactly what I'm saying. Right. And so any athlete, any great athlete, I think, will stop and, and they will listen. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that are going to get a lot of value out out of listening to you talk and listen listening to this conversation. Um, it is something that 
is rarely discussed in in that way, you know. And I, it's a very interesting topic. And the people who the people who have experienced it, they know exactly what you're talking about, you know. <laughs> well, um, tell me when the podcast is on or something like that. And I'll, I will. Um, and the, the comments, if there are any comments, any feedback. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> think about this. Like the people probably watching your podcast, they're young people like yourself, right? That are into to uh, skating, things like that. And I think you you would think that they wouldn't have anything in common with an old codger like me that was a retired doctor. But the fact is, I feel a camaraderie with those guys out on the boardwalk. It's amazing how easy it is for me to talk to them and to feel like, and never think that there's some sort of hierarchy involved, okay, because of my age. So it's enjoyable for me. to. It's like I'm talking to a like mind, really. For sure. Yeah, there's that that solidarity there that you you both experienced that thing and uh, yeah I didn't I didn't yeah it was very very awesome to talk to you and thank you very much for taking the time to do it and uh, I'll be in touch for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Thanks, okay. Lama. Nice meeting Bye-bye. you. See ya. Same here.